Welcome to Nature Centered, a podcast from Wild Birds Unlimited about feeding the birds and enjoying nature right in your own backyard. Here are your hosts, naturalists John Schaust and Brian Cunningham. Hi everyone, I'm John Schaust. And I am Brian Cunningham. And welcome to episode number 49. And today, it's all about nesting. Yes, spring is around the corner, and we're going to give you a bird's eye view of the birds that might be nesting in your yard and some of the things to look for and some of the things you could do to help them. Yeah, you know, just like looking for a home, and you think about all sorts of different things of having a, the right kind of space, having the right neighborhood, places to get groceries, good place to raise the youngsters, easy in and out, all sorts of different things come into play. Birds think about a lot of those too, and you may not even recognize that. So we're going to talk a little bit about that bird's eye view and how you can bring more birds into your yard to raise families. Yeah, and if you stick around, we might find a little bit more about something called murmuration. Sounds fun, John. All right, Brian, number 49. My gosh, and it's all about we're getting ready to spring. I know that I'm really excited to kind of hear what's going on in your yard. Because mm-hmm. I know I'm seeing lots of signs of spring, even though the snow, I get the last bit of snow on my deck that was in the shade, melted this morning. <laughs> so, <laughs> so woohoo, time to celebrate. There you go. But, but bird-wise, what's mm-hmm. going on in your yard that is precursor to spring happening? Oh, really paying attention a lot what's going on in the yard because uh, we make maple syrup as a hobby around home and which is loads of fun and requires a lot of time outside. And I'm... (laughs) That's the best best part of it. It it actually really is. And I'm really loving listening to all sorts of birds starting to gear up and and talk and to sing. And you mentioned a couple of episodes ago about how you're hearing the titmice calling. Yeah. Because the... The tufted titmouse is one of those really early talkers to establish territory and solidify the bonds with the mates uh, so they can raise families. Well, I've finally started hearing those, but also I'm standing out there recently and I heard um, cardinals in two different areas. So I know I heard one cardinal off to one direction and then I heard two other cardinals in a different direction. Which tells me I've got a nesting pair because it's probably one the, the cardinals, male and female, one of those uncommon things where they'll sing a duet. Yeah. So I know they're off on one side of a territory and my and the other side of my yard in the neighborhood is a different territory. Yeah. So that's really cool. Yeah. Spring is starting to pop and yeah. flowers are starting to pop in the yard too. What about yeah, you? Yeah, excellent. Well, yeah, no, we, we same thing. Exactly the same thing. I think I'm, we, again, mentioned a couple of podcasts ago about the uh, red-winged blackbirds. I've been yes. teeing up in my backyard for a couple of weeks now whenever it's nice and warm. I did hear a robin at dusk the other night teeing up and doing their, you know, there you go. a lot melodial, you know, melodial. I don't know if that's a word, but you know what I mean. <laughs> that beautiful song of theirs. Uh, so lots of things like that going on. Carolina Wrens have been going crazy. Oh, the, yes. The vocal, you know, how loud that little bird can be. and So they've been going crazy. And then I've had a lot, you know, again, we've got sandhill cranes. I think you've had them over your house. We've got sandhill cranes yes. over our house. I had greater white-fronted geese go over. 
How cool Sweet. was that? That's the first time I've ever had that happen. That is hood, awesome. Yeah. I've got hooded mergansers in the creek behind here. I've got wood ducks in the creek behind my house. So I'm just stoked. I'm just totally stoked. It's spring. That's it's excellent. here. It's time to get outside and really soak it all in. So That's right. And of course, as you mentioned, all this big activity that we're hearing and seeing is leading up to the highlight of spring. And that's a lot of birds are going to start nesting and and uh, right around our own homes, you know, doing the things around the house that, that uh, you know, will bring on the next generation. So we wanted to kind of focus on that today. And what's it like to be a bird and to go through this process? That's right. I want to invite as many birds to raise families in my yard as possible. Well, the downer here is, you know, we're all excited about the nesting, but my goodness, this is tough. If you're a bird, you talk about a bird's eye view, this is tough on birds. If you're a female mallard and you're nesting, you only have a 15% chance of actually fledging a young out of that nest. Okay, 80, okay. you said 15%, 15 chance. 1-5. That's an 85% failure rate. Whoa. Yeah. Now, think think on that for a moment. Yeah. Those poor mama ducks. Yeah. Those poor well, mama mallards. They're very vulnerable. You know, they nest on the ground. And so they mm -hmm. build a nest and they, they, you know, they're very camouflaged in their color and they're literally counting on not being found. But guess what? A lot of them are found and that's the result. If you are successful and you do hatch your eggs, fewer than half of those ducklings will make it their first two weeks. So half of your young Staggering. will be gone in two weeks. Of the remaining half that survived the first two weeks, only a third of those will make it six weeks. Unbelievable. And another study, 30% of female mallards perish during the process of nesting on the ground. Predators finding them and, and taking them out. Well, no wonder Mama is always trying to hide that nest. Yeah. Because yeah. she's trying to keep herself protected. And she's trying to protect all those yeah. little ones that she's hoping to hatch. Yeah. So it just illustrates what a really tough, tough thing this mm -hmm. nesting is. And just to give you one more, like robins, you would think robins, you know, beautiful yeah. songs and what, you know, they're everywhere and you see them nesting and you probably, probably more people find robins nest than any other nest that you find. One third of all uh, American robins, only one third of them actually succeed in any given nesting. So two-thirds, 66 wow. and a whatever percent failure rate. I mean, that's unbelievable. And if you were one of the lucky ones and you fledged those youngsters, one quarter of those will only survive. Only one quarter, I'm sorry, only one quarter of those will survive until next fall. So the, the numbers are just it's, staggering. It's tough so, to be a bird. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of one of the things, too, when we talk about it today. You know, there are so many things that we can do that might help a little bit make these birds a little more successful if we just kind of know what they're doing and how they're doing it and making sure we're doing the right thing for them. So. All right, John, enough for downer stuff, right? Because we want to make sure <laughs> Sorry. that the birds are successful. So what do you think is number one on the hit parade, the, the John and Brian hit parade on what we can do to help birds? 
Let's see. The number one thing that we seem to talk about on a regular basis. Could it be? Habitat. If you said yeah. habitat, you win. Absolutely. Yeah, we've talked about it a lot. And I think, uh, what was the show? What, not number 20? Episode 23. 23. Number 23. Yep. I think we talked about it pretty extensively. And actually, if you're, if you're enjoying this particular podcast, it might be fun to go back and listen to the one uh, number 23 where we talked about nesting too. Uh, but yeah, number one thing, habitat, and so many of these birds just literally depend on the habitat for the food supply for their youngsters, for the nesting cover that they need to stay well hidden so that they don't get taken out by predators. Um, you know, it, it's it's vitally important uh, that you can maybe help by the plantings that you choose to use in your yard, you know, about the... Uh, you know, some people want that perfectly manicured yard, and that's really not very helpful for a lot of these birds when they're nesting. So there's a there's a lot of things that you can do, and I think you know the other show went into great detail. But just things that provide a lot of of cover and a lot of natural food sources for birds is a really important piece. Looking at what are what are all the grocery areas in my yard in my neighborhood, so I'm gonna pick the right home. Yeah. You know what, again, looking at it through a bird's eye view, if I'm a bird and I'm looking for a place to nest and have my young, um, that's what I'm looking for. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I want to make sure that there's plenty of natural food supply that's going to be there so I don't you know, run out when I'm feeding my young. I want to make sure there's plenty of habitat and cover for a great nesting spot. If I'm a cavity nesting bird, if I nest in you know trees, if you will, or you know old fence posts or wherever it might be, uh, I want to make sure there's plenty of cavities around that if I'm a bluebird or a titmouse or a wren or whatever I might be, uh, I want to make sure I've got plenty of options for nesting inside my nice little cavity. Not everyone's going to have uh, a tree in their yard that's old enough, that's um, dead enough, that is going right. to be good for a bird to create their own hole. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you don't have any woodpeckers that are creating holes. You know, we have that primary cavity nester, the woodpeckers. They make their own holes. And then the secondary cavity nesters, like the, the wrens and the bluebirds, would come along and use those. So you don't always have to have every component in your yard naturally. Sometimes you can supplement those things. And, and putting out a nest box is a really excellent way to supplement for the birds. But what's the right way to do that? And I know right now in my yard, I have chickadees that are... Mm-hmm work in a box right now you, we saw the same thing brian literally my mm-hmm. wife and i were sitting here looking out the window this morning and there were chickadees Sweet. working on one of our nest boxes so yeah i love that yeah uh, one of those little tips that you don't really read about very often is if you want to help those chickadees really be enticed to your box have have the right interior and have the right entrance hole and you can always go to a wild birds unlimited store they've got all the the right materials they've got all the right education for you um uh, but a tip is put some wood chips in there and, you know, bigger wood shavings that it'll make the chickadees feel like instead of just being this cavity, they can pop in and out of them. They're like, okay, we're good. They tend to like removing a few of those wood chips right. and kind of make it personal make it their own little space. And I know there are some folks who can probably <laughs> relate to, I want to make this space my own. Yeah. Uh, so one little tip. Yeah. With the, with the chickadees for you. You know, it's funny you should bring that up, too, because I, I remember one of the coolest things very, very, very early on in my career. I just started a job uh, in January, uh, my first 
full-time job as a naturalist at a nature center in southern Indiana. And that spring, chickadees, there was a, a, a broken off small, it wasn't a very large tree at all, but it was really, really rotten, really soft. Mm-hmm. And there was an old woodpecker hole there. And I literally, it was right next door to the walk up to our, to our nature center. I mean, they weren't like, you know, hiding back in the middle of the woods somewhere. They were right there. And the, I watched them over and over. They'd go in and just like using that bill like a little pair of tweezers and mm-hmm. just pulling out little pieces of, of uh, fiber, you know, the wood fiber and coming out and in essence spinning it out and going back <laughs> in and doing it again because they were making that hole their own, just like they would do in the nest with the wood chips that you put in there. Yeah. And that's just so cool because yeah. yeah, their bill isn't strong and designed like a woodpecker's bill to make their own hole in, mm-hmm. in tough wood, but that's amazing to be able to watch that and see them pick and pull and kind of create yeah. their own little cavity. Yeah, it was so special. It was so special. I love that. Yeah, plenty of other cavity and nesting scenarios. John, what's the next one? One of the things that always seem to, to happen is, you, what's the right spacing? How far apart should I put my yes. boxes, you know? Yes. And if you're running a bluebird trail, you know, do you 100 yards apart and, and all these different factors. Well, my little piece of property, which is just a little over about an acre, acre and a half, um, I have at least 12 nest boxes, which probably breaks all the, all the rules. Come on, John. If you follow all the rules in the books, you have way too many nest boxes. I don't. Yeah. But what I've found is it really works because it leaves, you know, the the competition. It really kind of minimizes the competition. You know, they're not all fighting for all the, the limited number of boxes. There's always one or two where the chickadees are nesting. There's always at least one where I've got a bluebird, if not two. Yeah, there's always, then of course the, the house wrens come back later, a little later than the, the bluebirds start nesting and the chickadees start nesting and they become a big competitor and they try to fill every nesting cavity with sticks. But when you've got a lot of them, they don't do all of them and they leave those other nest boxes open for other cavity nesting birds. So, you know, I have a multitude of different types of styles of boxes. You know, I've got the traditional bluebird boxes. I've got some of the wonderful uh, Gilbertson. They look like PVC with a, uh, a wooden roof. And that's very cool. And, you know, the and bottom line is... that's been very successful in my yard. Yeah. With the bluebirds. Yeah. So I've got, I've got a number of different styles of boxes in, in my yard. And, you know, it's interesting to see which the chickadees really like the PVC boxes. They really like those. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm almost guaranteed that if they're going to nest in my yard, that's where I'm going to find them. Uh, so the bluebirds like more like the traditional larger, you know, a little larger space, floor space on that, uh, traditional bluebird box. Yes. So, yeah. So do I, I, again, maybe I'm spinning out here all on my own, but I kind of think you <laughs> don't have to worry a whole lot about having too many boxes out. I actually think it kind of helps. Well, and I would tend to agree with that. And I know, like you said, it kind of breaks away from the norm. And, you know, I only have a half acre. And I know there are folks that have even smaller yards. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. having a few different boxes up, um, like in my little half acre, I, it depends on the year, but I'll have at minimum two or three different bluebird style boxes and in different places. Yeah. um, So that, I'm trying to invite the bluebirds to find the right spot. Now, uh, of course, I have the habitat around, and right. you know it, we have all sorts of 
natural food sources for them and supplemental from all our feeders. But to have those, you wouldn't, even in my little half acre, most most books would say just one bluebird house. Mm-hmm. Well, what if they don't mm-hmm. like that spot? Because guess what? Yeah. I've got one spot. They have never nested in that box, but they've nested in other spots. Yeah. So sometimes if you change your paradigm, put a few extra out, but put them in different locations and, and find out what, <laughs> which area do they like. Yeah. I know too. Nesting shelves, they yeah, don't get bingo. a whole lot of love, right? If you, but if you were going to bring it up, I was because I love <laughs> nesting shelves. Absolutely. So, yeah. What if you had, in a, you know, taking up residence in a nest shelf? A nesting shelf is nothing more than just you. You create some type of a um, um, flat surface. You know, maybe maybe I don't know what, maybe six by six. Something about that size, yeah, yeah. And you mount it on the side of your house, typically underneath your your eaves, so it's kind of covered and it's dry underneath the eaves. And uh, there there are just a number of robins. The other big the robins other big winter then robins love these things, and they'll go to them and they'll nest on those things. I've got a kind of a modified one. It's not just a a, a shelf shelf. It's kind of got a, a half a box. In other words, the top the whole top front. That proportion of the front is open, but it does have a small, maybe inch and a half tall piece across the, the front on the bottom. And my my wrens, my Carolina wrens, that is their go-to box. They love that thing, and they're up there nesting pretty much every year in that box. And then I do, I have a, a Phoebe that I have oh, a little, oh. yeah, I got a little creek. You've heard me talking about my creek next to my yep. yard. I got a little creek, and the road has a, it's a small bridge, not, you know, it's just a little concrete culvert, basically. But they nest in there every year. So years ago, Man, that's I made awesome. a, yeah, I made a nesting shelf and put in there for them to use. So that's been a fun thing to, to have happen, too. Well, and, you know, you've got the eastern Phoebe. And out west, right. the black, black Phoebes, <laughs> they can definitely use a nesting shelf, which is really, really cool. Yeah. yeah. I have a natural nesting shelf. Yeah. Under my eaves oh, that's right. is the downspout that then connects to the wall and goes down. So it's created a natural little nesting shelf every year. Yeah. Robins come, build a nest there. And the it's really interesting, too. The house finches use it. They take last year's nest. House finches use that old robin's nest on that wow. little nesting shelf. Nice. And then the robins show up, and which is interesting, too, because then they refurbish it and use it. Mm-hmm. Now, house finches and robins tend to go back to the same area each year, yeah. and they are known to use the same nest year after year, as long as that yeah. nest is still there. So I know some sometimes people think, oh, do I clean out the nest every year? Mm-hmm. Well, when it comes to a nesting shelf, if you already have the shelf, you know, you could pull, if, the, if they're building any kind of nest up in there, you could clean that out. Uh, but for me, that robin nest... It's it, the, it just, it's yeah. less time for the birds. And, and I know it's safe. There are no insects that are still up in there that would feed on the, the little baby nestlings in there. So I leave that there. But when it comes to cavities, the boxes that I put out, I'm cleaning those out. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually clean them out in the fall. Some folks wait till spring to clean them out. Mm-hmm. But you want to make sure they're clean and, and ready for the next occupant. We've touched on it about having natural habitat and natural foods in the yard. But, you know, I think we should talk a little bit about the foods that we offer the birds. Excellent. Yeah. 
because uh, that really becomes a, an important component in raising a family. And you look at some of the nutritional aspects. Uh, you look at mom as she's preparing to lay eggs. And then, you know, you look at the nestlings and what kind of mm. nutrition do they need. And mm -hmm. hopefully, you know, because they're picking your yard to raise that family, there's a lot of good natural foods there. Lots of caterpillars, you know, maybe different seeds and fruits depending on the right birds. But there are foods that you can be offering to help them supplement. And in fact, plenty of studies that also have shown that having access to supplemental foods yeah. that are readily and daily available for them when they need them actually do help the birds. And mm. in some respects, nest one or two weeks earlier, as well as have an extra egg laid or even an extra nestling make it Fledge to the out. fledgling yeah. stage because yeah. yeah. you talked about kind of that downer of man it's hard yeah. to be a bird right yeah yeah and so having supplemental food and the key is regular always available yeah so they can they can help be more successful so what are some of the foods you really enjoy watching your well, nesting yeah. birds come to you I, I think that for me you know and this is this is something brian that you and i helped with many many years ago and that is kind of bringing forward into a lot of the different foods that we have in our stores be it bark butter uh, be it our plus blends uh, being our most recent addition and that's the 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 super nesting blend oh, super yeah. the nesting super blend mm -hmm. uh, and that's adding calcium we have a lot mm -hmm. of our foods that have added calcium and boy if there's one thing uh, that that will make a difference for these birds uh, as they prepare to nest. It's not even while they're nesting. It's it's up front. You know, they need calcium. And then that female yes. lays an egg. She is really sucking the calcium <laughs> out of her body. And she's going to really be looking to replace it wherever she can. And, and we know there's natural sources that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, are out there uh, that they seek out and find. But by a Putting those into you know these different foods again our our, our uh, super uh, nesting super blend our uh, all of our bark butter products all have the calcium they mm -hmm. will start hitting that pretty doggone matter of fact I think I mentioned I think did I not mention in the last podcast that my bluebirds are maybe it was just a conversation you and I had at one point but my bluebirds are hitting my my bark butter bits so much heavier right now than they have mm -hmm. all winter. And I'm speculating it's because yeah. they're craving that calcium that's in those bark mom's, butter bits and, and the protein. Building the calcium level and the now, protein right? level. Yeah, ready. Yeah, so I, you know, again, could be John spinning off in space on his own, but <laughs> that, but but that's kind of what I'm I'm contemplating right now because their activity level has really and they're coming yeah. in pairs. They're coming in pairs what? to me. Yeah, I'm seeing the same thing. Yeah, that my bluebirds have paired off even in just the last one or two weeks. They are paired off. They're checking out the boxes together, individual pairs, and they are hitting bark bitter bits more regularly. And it's really fascinating to watch when you, you put the calcium foods out or foods that have added calcium. Um, you, know, you talk about there are natural sources. And I always right, like to, right. uh, you know, what kind of natural sources are out there? Yeah. Uh, you know, you look at things like snail shells, uh, exoskeletons of insects. We don't have a whole lot of insects emerging right now, mm -hmm. so they'd have to go find snail shells or eggshells. But who's got eggshells right now? You know, eating <laughs> eggshells yeah. from uh, wherever. Uh, one of the more fascinating ones too is 
mortar on the side of a building, mortar in between brick or stone, has calcium in it. Yeah. And you ever see a bird picking on the side of the house? Well, they're looking for calcium. So that's the time. That's a good sign. You need to put out some foods that have calcium. Yeah, exactly. And... <laughs> if, if they're trying to eat your house, it's a good clue. <laughs> right. You know, one of the things I think we're 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 really geeked out on is is this nesting super blend that we have. Uh, not only because it's got the calcium, but you're talking about insects and the fact that they need to seek out insects. Well, we've got mm-hmm. dried millworms in here, so right. And, and so that's another little piece. So we put those in the into the nesting super blend. We put a lot, a lot of high protein foods into that uh, nesting super blend because protein is massive when they're getting ready to nest and, and be able to, uh, you know, uh, those little youngsters, if they're being mm-hmm. fed that, to be able to get yep. the protein to grow all those feathers. I mean, the feathers are, what, 90 plus percent protein. Right. And they need tons and tons of protein. So, well, and mom uh, does too. Just for that matter, she's preparing true, to true. lay eggs. Yet her main two things, what we're talking about, is she's craving calcium mm-hmm. and she's craving amino acids in the mm-hmm. way of proteins. Yeah. And yeah, and developing the foods, we have been very, very purposeful about developing foods and blends that are going to help satisfy those things for the birds in a very natural way without any unnatural additives. Yeah, we want as as natural as we can get. And you talk about the calcium and what that is. You know, it's usually the calcium is a calcium carbonate. It could or you know it could be limestone. It could be oyster shell. Yeah. And so what we're sourcing to put into our foods is a naturally occurring natural something they are finding in nature. Yeah, and utilizing it. So always making sure we're doing the best for the birds yeah yeah so again there is something yes habitats everything without question you gotta have that habitat to get them to stop by and take a look at your your yard in the first place but you know by adding some of these uh, supplemental foods uh, you can really be doing some good things for your birds in your in your backyard so john you talked about a murmuration you know kind of murmur 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 Tell us us about this. Stop stuttering, Brian. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is one of those way cool things. And and probably I would would hope that most people have actually seen this at some time or another. And Mm -hmm. murmuration is basically when you get a massive flock of hundreds, if not thousands of birds, really tight. They look like a cloud. And they are just like a cloud that's become a wave in the ocean. They're just moving around up and down and undulating and rolling back on itself. And it, it's just, when you see it, it's just like blows your mind. Uh, typically, it's associated with starlings. Uh, mm, but yes. they're, the, yes, yeah. they're the kind of the famous one. Yeah. And, and for a long time, scientists were kind of uh, unsure exactly what, what was the mechanics. How did they do this? Was there, was there like one bird in the lead or? So I know, Brian, yeah. you, you years ago you came up with, a, found a study that had covered some of the detail on this. I did, and I was blown away because to be able to have that super fluid motion and no bird runs into another bird, uh, and you're like, what? Yeah. So and, and this is not a slow rolling wave. No. <laughs> These this are is just... really quick movements. <laughs> Incredibly quick. This like super reflexes of yeah. jet fighter yeah. pilots are even yeah. better. So they computer modeled 
and they determined that every bird is watching seven other birds. That's all they do. They watch seven other birds. So within the entire flock, everyone's watching seven other birds. And they're able to see the movements Mm -hmm. happen and react so quickly that you get that super smooth motion and and twisting and turning and just folding in on itself. So absolutely fascinating. And yeah, the European starlings seem to be the most graceful and ballet-like. Yeah. The bottom line is we've talked about a couple of things and, and, you know, it's not easy to be a bird. There are issues right. when you're nesting there are issues when you're just flying <laughs> flying over the city uh so you know anything you know and i think our goal with this podcast in many many ways is to help people do whatever they can to help bird populations survive and thrive that's right so hopefully by you know some of the things that we've talked about in regards to providing nesting cavities uh providing some of those supplemental foods that really do make a difference Hopefully, you know, we can we can help bird populations, at least some specific species, continue to grace our backyards and, and bring us so much joy. Yeah, John, I know that I'm going to continue to feed the birds and set up habitat in my yard so that they're going to bring me joy, and I know I'm helping them. Hmm. And I hope everyone else is able to continue to even do one more step this spring to help the birds and bring more joy to you. And we appreciate that everyone's joining us. Thanks for joining us for the nesting, a bird's eye view, and rate and review us. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Yeah, and please join us next time. You know, we plan on sharing a little celebration of our 50th podcast. Who would have thought? Woo-hoo. But as, Yeah, really. But as always, until then, Brian and I are going to let nature be our guide. And so until our next visit, please take care and be safe. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nature Centered. To subscribe to this podcast, for show notes, or to connect with the Wild Birds Unlimited store nearest you, visit wbu.com podcast. Until we meet again, take some time to relax, enjoy the birds, get out in your backyard, and stay nature-centered.